Well, as you've already heard today, we're going to be in Psalm 63. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. As we begin, I want you to think about a moment in your life when you expected something to happen in the future. And then I want you to think about the sense of delight and satisfaction when that came to pass. Maybe it is a gift you were hoping for one Christmas. Maybe it is a promotion at work that you worked tirelessly to obtain. Maybe it is a vacation or a holiday that you had after a long period of time of not having one. Maybe it's an engagement or a wedding or the birth of a child. Think for a moment about those feelings Think about the expectation you had of that moment coming and think about the satisfaction that you had when it came. That's similar to what I believe we see David write about in Psalm 63. Now there are many ways that we can use the Psalms in our devotional life. One of them is one that we've already done by singing songs about the themes that we see presented in the Psalm. Another way, I believe, is to observe the psalm's declarations of affection and action and then to use them to invigorate our own, to give us more affections for God, more action towards him. So today, what I want to do is examine Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8, and I want to look particularly at how we can use this psalm to inform our gatherings on Friday mornings. You see, the church throughout history has set aside a day of the week to meet for what we call corporate worship, a day to gather together, to sing praises to God, to hear his word proclaimed, to invigorate our hearts, to live more for him. This gathering that we do each week is one of the lifebloods of the church. And so my prayer has been this week that Psalm 63 will raise our expectations for what the Lord can do in our gatherings, and it will lead us to similar ways of living and thoughts that David has in his pursuit of God. So let's begin by simply reading verses 1 through 8 together aloud. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So as we make our way through this, 
Ask God to show you David's heart. Ask God to show you his affections and to use those to spur on similar affections in your own life. First, our first observation. David earnestly desires God himself. Notice the focus of David's heart in verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. One of the most helpful practices I've learned over the years in my own personal study is to begin by marking all the references to God and just collect my thoughts about what the writer is saying in particular about God. Notice what this looks like with this one verse in Psalm 63.1. You can see jumping off the page, that David's focus is squarely on God. He begins with a declaration that God is his mighty one, his God. Then he declares that the goal of his heart is to seek God. Some of your translations may say early. The idea is that one rises early in the morning and diligently searches and seeks after that which he desires. Think about a young child on Christmas morning, running around, waking up all the parents before they desired to awake, shuffling through the presents, finding the ones with their names on it. David diligently pursues God himself. And to show us just how he pursues him and why he pursues him, he gives us the imagery next in verse 1. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He repeats the same idea, interchanging soul and flesh to encompass his entire being. He seeks God because his whole person craves God like the body craves water in a dry land. Think about it this way. You're on your way to Alain in the middle of the summer. You pack up all your items. You're about an hour, 45 minutes out. Your car breaks down. Heat's coming down. You call the, the roadside assistants. They tell you it's going to be a while before they get there. So you start to frantically search for that water bottle that you packed, only to find there's no water. Hours later, your mouth becomes dry, your body starts to faint, the heat's coming down on you, you don't know whether to sit in the car or outside the car because it's just as bad either way. You see, that's the image that David wants us to have of the way his soul, the way his entire person longs for God. He longs for God like the body craves water when it needs it. And this is where our Fridays should begin, with a holy desire for God. On this verse, Charles Spurgeon comments, holy desires are among the most powerful influences that stir our inner nature. You see, we should begin every Friday, we should begin every day desiring God himself. We should arrive early, on a Friday morning with a desire to gain more of God, 
We should approach every one of our gatherings with a longing for God to meet us. This then moves us to our second observation. What does he do? What does David do to satisfy his need? How does he seek God? Notice in verse 2 that David meditates on God's glory. Verse 2. So, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Did you notice the transitional word at the beginning of verse 2? So, or thus in some translations. He's saying, I long diligently and I seek after God, so this is what I've done to find him. I've looked upon him in the sanctuary. You see, throughout the Old Testament, the idea of the sanctuary is seen in two forms. One was the sanctuary in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. The other one was the heavenly places where God dwelt. And I believe ultimately David's referring to both because the sanctuary in the tabernacle is a copy of that which is in the heavens. It's a physical representation of the greater heavenly reality. Now the earthly sanctuary was a holy place. And it was a place where God's glory was most clearly seen. It was a place where Israel gathered together to worship God. It couldn't be profaned. And it was a staple for the corporate worship of Israel. So David, as he's in the wilderness and away from this tabernacle, meditates on the glory of God that he saw in the sanctuary and the one that he ultimately knows to be in the heavens. He thinks deeply on the power and the glory of God. Then notice that David seeks God by looking upon God's sanctuary and beholding his power and glory, and then he provides the result of this. Notice verses 3 through 4. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Do you see the flow of David's thought through these first four verses? In verse 1, he longs for and he seeks God. So he looks for God's glory and power in the sanctuary. And while beholding his glory and power, he's confirmed that God's steadfast love is better than life. And so he praises God more. You see, it's as he beholds the glory of God that he understands that God's presence felt through his steadfast love is better than anything this life has to offer. And that causes him to raise his hands in joy-filled praise, to be thankful, to be confident in his God. He delights in praising God and blessing his name. John Piper helps to show us how this connects to our gatherings for corporate worship. He says this, Neither in the Old Testament nor in the New Testament was the worship of God bound to a building. But both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God has blessed the regular gathering of his people with the vision of his power and his glory. This is the vision that feeds our souls on Sunday morning, or Fridays for us. 
And then later on in the wilderness functions to remind us that God is great indeed and make us thirst and faint for his power and glory. You see, our gatherings on Friday mornings are designed to be an aid in seeing God's glory as we look around and we see how he blesses us with the vision of his power and glory. When you look around on a Friday morning and you see people from nation and tongue and tribe, does it not show you the power and the glory of God? He's not contained to one country or one people. He has people from every nation. And we get to uniquely experience that. When we sing, we hear of God's power. We hear of God's glory. When we read the Bible, we hear of God's power and his glory. See, our gatherings are means to beholding the thirst-quenching glory of God. So we can make it throughout the week. And this brings us to our final observation. David expects to be fully satisfied by God's presence. Notice what he says at the beginning of verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. You can see he expects the quenching of his soul's thirst that he spoke about in verse 1. He knows it will happen. But it's not just a small cup of water that quenches his soul's desire. His soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. For the Hebrew, the highest idea of celebratory provision is embodied in fatness and morrow. This is abundant satisfaction that he knows he will receive from God's presence. Picture it like this. I know my Brazilian friends and my South African friends can appreciate this one. It's like you plan on going to a barbecue or a braai that you know will be filled with an assortment of the finest meats you can buy and you'll be able to eat to your heart's delight. You arrive and the grill is going with that wonderful aroma. First servant comes off the grill and you grab a piece of perfectly seasoned Steak. Oh, that's good. The next one, a nice juicy sausage. Then a lamb chop, a kebab, maybe even a little chicken, depending on whether you actually call that meat. <laughs> All perfectly juicy, satisfying that longing for that barbecue that you had the entire day. And church, this pales in comparison to the way God will satisfy our hearts when we seek him. It doesn't even scratch the surface of what we can receive from God's presence. David knows it's so wonderful that he also expects for this to result in more joy-filled praise. In verse 5, he says, And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. The idea is an exuberant shout of praise. 
a triumphant singing. It's a heart that's overwhelmed and bursting forth in song. And then verse 6 shows that his meditation encompasses his entire day. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Did you notice that he started early looking for God's glory and he ended the day looking for God's glory? Why? Why is he so consumed with meditating on God? I think verses 7 and 8 gives the reason. For, because you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You see, his pursuit of God is fueled by the fact that he has seen God, been there for him, knows God is surrounding him, and knows that God will hold him in the future with his powerful and strong right hand. So he can sing in joy because he's in the shadow of the wings of the almighty creator of the universe. Because he has met God because he has experienced his heart being filled with that joy and that satisfaction that he spoke about, and he knows it will be again. You see, David expects to be fully, fully satisfied by God's presence. And keep in mind that these ultimately are not just David's words. These are the inspired words of God. Have you ever thought about the Psalms in that way? They are the stamp of approval by God of what we should pray and say to him. And this one, I think, informs us of what we should expect to receive when we gather together on Friday mornings. What we should expect from our worship. We should expect to be fully satisfied by God. We should expect to taste and see that the Lord is good. We should expect to be filled with joy and peace when we gather together. And this isn't just an expectation of intellectual things. It's not just expecting that we'll know that those things are true. We should expect for our actual affections to be raised. Genuine joy that rises up as we worship, genuine peace that settles on our heart as we worship, and a genuine sense of confidence in God's power, of thankfulness for his love, and love which springs forth as we worship. Listen to this quote Pastor Steve sent me about a piece of paper philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal kept sewn in his shirt to remind him of one such experience of worship like this. This is what the paper said. This day of grace, 1654, from about half past ten at night to about half after midnight, fire, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, 
not of the philosophers and the wise. Security, security, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, thy God shall be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and all except God. He can be found only in the ways taught in the gospel. Greatness of the human soul. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. Joy, joy, tears of joy. I have separated myself from him. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and him whom you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I have separated myself from him. I have fled renounced, crucified him. May I never be separated from him. He maintains himself in me only in the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation total and sweet. You see the way he was filled with joy, peace, confidence, that he was God's as he met with him that evening. Now we don't want to confuse this with emotionalism. This is something vastly different. It's something so much stronger. And I think it's helpful to also say that it's not necessarily something that will happen every time we meet or every day. If you notice, Pascal carried this around with him in his pocket to remind himself of the day that it happened. That means he needed to be reminded of it. Yet while this might not happen every time, in this way, every time we meet, I do believe we're still expected these things to satisfy us. We should still desire for them. They may come in different measures. Some might not come for extended periods of time. But keep seeking. Keep searching. Keep expecting that your soul will be satisfied by the presence of God. Now, before we conclude with practical suggestions for how we can raise our expectations in worship, there's one more vitally important point to make. Notice again how David starts verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. The God who created the entire universe was David's God. God was with him, God was for him, God was pleased with him, God delighted in him, he knew this. And there is only one way for us to say this with David, and that's by trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out on the cross. The Bible puts it this way in Ephesians 2, apart from Christ, all of mankind is following another power, a lesser power, the power of darkness. All are dead spiritually to God. They're unable to see his glory, unable to experience this soul satisfaction, unable to call God our God. But for those who trust in the name of Jesus Christ, God makes us alive. He opens our eyes to see his glory 
He reconciles us to him. He becomes our God and we become his people. And then he showers us with his kindness and steadfast love year after year, day after day, satisfying our souls over and over again, just like that barbecue. You see, that's the only way we can call God our God. It's through Jesus Christ. Praise God that he has provided that way. So if you don't know him, before I list off these practical ways to raise our expectations, I have to ask, will you trust in Jesus Christ this morning? Trust him. He is perfectly trustworthy. He died on the cross to save us from our sins. Now for those of us who know that we can say with David, oh God, you are my God. Allow me to give six ways to raise our expectations in worship. Now I'm gonna specifically relate these to Friday mornings, but I think most of them can be used in your own personal worship. But we wanna raise our expectations as a, as a corporate body together. Number one, wake up early to read scripture that encourages you to long for God. I think there's so much of a temptation to think, I'll get God when I get to church on Friday morning. No, rise in the morning early and read something that encourages you to long for God, to prepare your heart to meet with him. The Psalms are where I go to this. I have memorized several of them and there's others that I just know the themes of. So when I wake up, I go, Here's the psalm I'm reading today. Let me prepare my heart to receive from God. I love Psalm 1, 16, 23, 63, 90, and 103. Those are all great ones. I'll also occasionally use a passage like Isaiah 40, which simply just declares how great and vast and powerful God is. Occasionally, you can consider using resources by other faithful writers. I love a book called The Valley of Vision, which is prayers by old Puritan saints. It stirs my heart to have affections for God. Wake up, read, until your mind is set on God, and then stop and just ponder for a few moments his goodness and his steadfast love. That's number one. Number two, pray. Pray for God to show you his glory during the service. This psalm is ultimately a prayer. Notice that David is speaking to God, sharing his desires and what he will do. You see, prayer sets our mind on God. Prayer expresses a dependence on him for everything that we need. Prayer fuels our affections and sets our expectations. Number three, arrive early to reflect on God's steadfast love. If you've noticed over this past month, we've chosen to start our service a few minutes early with a song so that people will know when the service is starting, but it's also a great time to settle your heart for the service. 
Maybe your Friday mornings are crazy like mine. Mine are insane. And that five minutes before Friday morning is when I pause and I say, okay, God, you knew about everything that happened this morning. Set my heart and my mind on you. Maybe you come in and you talk to some other people about God. Maybe you come in and you sit and you reflect on the words that are being sung. Maybe you sing them yourself. But arrive in time to prepare your heart to meet with God. Arriving early can also help you with the next suggestion. Number four, speak to others before and after service about God. You see, we all have times when we're in a dry and weary land. We all have times when our affections are weak and when others are strong. That's why we're a body together. First, let me just say, don't hesitate to ask for prayer. That's why we have prayer time at the end of service, because we know it's powerful for us to pray for one another. But also, don't hesitate to share the good that God has done in your life. Maybe he gripped your heart with something during the sermon or worship, and you want to share it with somebody. Maybe he met you sometime during the week through scripture reading. Share it. Come early, stay late enough to talk, and share the things that God is doing in your life. And I think there's a caveat to give, because I think... Sometimes we need to fight temptations in our heart when we hear good things about other people to compare, to get discouraged. But I want to show you that one of the designs of God working in other people's lives is to encourage your heart. It's to remind you that he will work in yours. It's to remind you that he will satisfy your soul as you see him satisfying others. Number five joyfully sing with a desire to receive more. We don't just sing because the Bible commands us to sing. Singing serves many purposes. It connects our hearts to truths in a different way than listening or reading. It uniquely serves to appropriately engage our emotions at times. It helps to raise our affections. It gives us a glimpse of God's glory as others are singing in unison around us. Did you notice how often David proclaims that he will sing in these verses? Half of these verses talk about him singing in some shape or form. Singing joyfully can lead to receiving more joy. And finally, keep fighting for faith even when you see little fruit. Oh, I've been thinking about this all week. You see, sometimes the danger in encouraging us to raise our expectations of how God will meet us is that we become discouraged if there's extended periods of times when he doesn't. If you read the Psalms consistently, you'll find out this is not a foreign experience. We have good reason to believe Psalm 63 was written when David was fleeing his son Absalom, who desired to kill him. We don't know how long of a drought he was in before he was satisfied. What we do know, though, is that David knew God would satisfy him, so he kept pursuing him. Even if you see little fruit of your affections being raised, keep praying, 
Keep fighting for faith. Keep studying God's word. Keep meeting with other people. Think back on the ways he's met you in the past. Maybe keep something sewn into your coat pocket if you know how to sew. Persevere, church. There is fruit on the other side of perseverance. James chapter 1 is one of my favorite verses. Right? Consider it joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Wonderful verse. You know what it says right after that? Let steadfastness have its full effect. Man, that speaks to my heart so many times when I'm in a dry season. And let steadfastness have its full effect. God, I want you to take this from me. I want you to satisfy me, but keep me steadfast. Because later he says in verse 12, I believe, to the one who is steadfast, he will receive the crown of life, which God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, there's something so much greater than any moment of even the joy that we feel now here in this earth when we see God face to face. When we receive that crown of life and we bask in his glory for eternity. Persevere, church. Fight the fight of faith. So as we move to the Radisson next week, as we head into a new year, let's raise our expectations about what God will do in and through our worship. Let's seek him, thirst for him. Let's behold his glory in the sanctuary and let's expect to be fully satisfied with God's presence. Please stand with me as I pray this over us. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, magnify your name in our hearts. Show us your power and your glory. Jesus Christ, satisfy us with who you are. Show us how you love us, care for us, provide for us, intercede for us, give us power to live. Holy Spirit, raise our affections. Cause our hearts to feel the love of God. To know that we are His. To know that He will hold us. Cause our souls to cling to Christ. God, we need your grace to do this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.